0: Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game. Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. The key to realizing a dream is to focus not on success, but significance. And even the small steps and the little victories along your path will take on greater meaning. And this is a quote by my girl, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> so, Hey listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in and for helping make this show popular in 38 countries, believe it or not, and over 8,000 downloads in just six months. And I am grateful and thrilled that you have been showing up and listening. I would also be thrilled if you would take just a minute to review, subscribe, and then share this podcast with a friend because I'm looking for world domination. (laughs) (laughs) Today's interview with Ann Ruthman is going to be really fun for me because she's someone I have not met before. So just like you, I get to make a new friend and learn from her zone of genius Right along with you. So, here's a little bit about Anne. She has been a multi passionate entrepreneur, which includes success as a full time professional photographer and several other endeavors. 2004 is when she started her photography career. She's a creative business consultant, and her TED talk is called What Would You Attempt? She also has a book called Pricing Workbook for Creatives. This helps people figure out how to package their talents so that they can have a profitable business doing what they love. She believes that if more people follow their passions and do what they love for a living, the world will be a happier and more peaceful place to live. And who doesn't want that? <laughs> so, <Seriously>. welcome. <laughs> yeah. so welcome, Anna. And thank you so, so much for being on The Profitable Photographer.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for hosting this and doing all the work that goes into this. It is no small endeavor, and I really admire you for it.
0: Thank you. Well, it's one of those things just like anything that creatives discover that I was born to do, and I tried to say no to it, but it just kept chasing me. So. (laughs) As it does, as it does. Uh So I listened to your TED talk, which is amazing. And I learned that you've had a very interesting and are continuing to have an interesting journey in the creative career field. So can you give me a little bit about your photography business, how you got there and kind of the unfoldment of your your work life?
1: Yeah, so... I think I was always creative, but I didn't really know what the right outlet would be for it. And I tried a lot of things that I was kind of encouraged to try, which was music and theater and dance. And through high school, I always thought that those would be options, but actually people were not encouraging me to go in that direction. They were like, no, stay safe. Like do something in business, do something in, you know, something reasonable. And so I tried doing that. That didn't work out so well. So I went back into music to be a music teacher, but I actually ended up photographing my um, classmates like headshots for their recital posters, which turned into engagement photos and then turned into friends of friends wanting to hire me to work for them either for their modeling portfolios, for their performance, um, marketing packets and then for weddings. And so what started as this casual thing that I was just kind of doing to, you know, fulfill my soul, ended up turning into a business quite rapidly as I was sharing it with people. I didn't realize I was building a business when I started building my business, but it was, you know, kind of like the need initially for me to pay for film and to upgrade my equipment and to upgrade my skills that I would ask people to pay me to help you know, do these things. And um, through that, I learned how to ask for money for my work. And then I learned eventually how to price my work in a way that I could keep asking for money for my work. (laughs) And I could keep doing that work, even when I decided not to be a teacher anymore. And I really decided to go full time. So that was really in, I think, 2004, 2005, 2006, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And then I had the challenge of needing to learn how to kind of move my business from place to place. My husband was developing his career as a musician and an educator in um, universities. So his career kind of took us on a little trip of learning how to live and operate and run a business in a few different states. So I went from Michigan to Indiana to Massachusetts to New York City. And in that time, my business actually changed each step of the way. Every state brought on a new set of challenges, a new set of clients, a new market of people who had different purchasing decisions, different values about how they valued photography. And so I learned a lot along the way about the differences between small town clients and big town clients and small town markets and big town markets and Midwestern markets versus East Coast markets, all sorts of interesting things. And so going through all of that, both kind of trained me in how to get up and running quickly with my business in a new state, figuring out all of the logistics, all the pricing that I needed to operate profitably, and then eventually like how to quickly market myself so that I could work quickly and easily in each new state as we moved. Because I really didn't want to give up this thing that I love just because we kept moving. Yeah. Yeah. And so, It eventually led to being an architecture and interior photographer in New York City, where I was handling large commercial accounts for large architecture firms, dealing with a lot of licensing issues and more commercial issues that I never considered dealing with when I started my photography business. So, (laughs) really run the gamut.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, two things when I listen to this, two thoughts that come to mind. One is that our careers do not have to be static as a creative, and I know you have lots of other directions uh, that you've explored, and that you're in a little different place now with your career as someone who is focusing on supporting others, but that it's not this static thing. Like I, if people, listeners, if you have been listening to a lot of my podcasts, you may have heard that I started in weddings for 12 years, and then um, actually should have done the switch sooner because I hit that burnout place with it, but um, transitioned to be a full-time child photographer. And that just kept me sustained and super happy. And for 25 years or so, maybe if I do the math, maybe it's even longer, but I never get bored working with kids. And then I've done a lot of family photography. And then this, you know, this turn to be a business coach because that's what my heart started being passionate about. So I love hearing that you also are someone that that embraces the evolution of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second thing that comes to mind, I guess if I were helping you write your biography, I might call it the accidental photographer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I
1: I definitely felt that way, for
0: sure. Yeah. One of (laughs) my favorite quotes that I don't even know where it came from, and I don't know, I have no idea, but when I was in my 20s, I read this quote on success, and it it was, how to be successful, and it's, watch what your hand falls to naturally, Mm -hmm. and keep doing more of that.
1: Yep. And that was what was happening in the beginning. It
0: was, I
1: was teaching music in the classroom, but all of my time was not being spent on lesson planning. It was being spent in Photoshop and how to take better photos and <laughs> learning how to upgrade my photo skills. And I was like, wait a minute, all of my free time was being spent in photography. Why don't I just do that?
0: And so you have. And then yeah. <laughs> now what I get from you is, that you're loving spending time supporting other creatives. And one of your zones of genius is about pricing for creatives. So before we dig into that specifically, one of the talks that I give, if I'm on someone's show or talking from the stage, I call creativity into cash. And it's about the challenges as artists in even being willing to sell our work and how to do that and what i hear from you and from knowing a little about your background you have studied marketing and it's maybe just like with me the idea of selling is not something that sends you into a closet with your blanket (laughs) sucking your thumb Um, but other (laughs) (laughs) other creative people that leap to actually take their heart you know they uh, like like a child that has made an art piece for their parents we we make this thing and we take it somewhere and then say do you like it do you want (laughs) to buy it (laughs) please (laughs) buy it you said, "No, I'm a loser." <laughs> so can you talk to me about some of the unique challenges that creatives who are not natural salespeople and marketers might have in your view?
1: Yeah, so that was definitely one of the things that came up once I started consulting with other photographers and other creatives was wrestling with that space that um, I felt like I had figured out that they hadn't yet figured it out yet. Right. That's why we're sharing our techniques. That's why we're sharing how we do it. And what I found was that people came from a much more confident place when they would figure out their numbers and their business in a very particular way. And so when they started from a place of what they needed to live, and then what they needed to support all of the equipment that they needed in order to create this beautiful work and this beautiful art, and then what they needed to really support the business behind it to do all the things that maybe they aren't so good at, like accounting and, you know, covering the insurance aspects of things. Once they did these numbers in a very kind of step-by-step, incremental, bricklaying way... I saw people go from a place of lack of confidence in putting a price on their work to, I have to charge this. I can't not I, like, I can't I do this work if I don't charge this, or I will only be doing it as a hobby and always paying out of my own pocket to create. But if I really wanna keep doing this and really wanna do this seriously, then I, I have to charge this. Because once they started doing the numbers in a very kind of like concrete systematic way, it was like building that brick wall of confidence that suddenly, you know, they couldn't take less because it would mean they actually wouldn't be able to produce the work in the future if they took less. So that was when I was like, okay, people are getting it. They're getting confident about it. I need to put this in a book.
0: (laughs) So did you say a brick wall of confidence?
1: Yeah, because it's, it's kind of like building this structure of, everything that really has to be factored into that number. It's, it's then no longer about any of the emotional stuff. It's, it no longer becomes about whether I'm good enough or not. It becomes about, well, it doesn't even matter if I'm good enough or not. This is just what it needs to be. Once people did that, it, it was kind of removed the whole emotional element behind the numbers and really built the
0: confidence in just like structure. So I think that's so interesting, because when I'm teaching sales, which, and if you don't know this, selling is my superpower. Awesome. Um, Three to seven, eight wall portraits or more per portrait client is my average, and I hold the world's record at my photo lab for the most wall portraits per client. Awesome. Um, So the core of my teaching is about... Don't let them get in their head about sizes and numbers, stay with the emotion, 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 emotion. So what I'm hearing is in this very tender space that we're in as artists, stepping away from emotion and going to the the left brain activity, which is looking at the practicality, looking at if you're spending your time doing this instead of working for the man, (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. you need to get paid and and that it helps to detach from that very tender feeling of here's my stuff do you love it do you want to give me money for it that it's just like, <laughs> i'm gonna do this i gotta get paid so that that's very very exciting and interesting to me that we just step over the emotional part uh for a time get practical and that what you're seeing with the people you work with is that then it it helps them make that shift.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I do see selling as an emotive experience and as an emotional connecting experience. But I think that creating the structure of a price um, to be applied to a work or to be applied to a print or to be applied to a service or to be applied to an offering is a different act. It's one that happens behind the scenes. It's one that doesn't happen in front of clients. It's one that happens before the client walks in the door. Mm-hmm. And I find that when that structure has been built before the client has walked in the door, then then people can be confident in the place of, it really doesn't matter if you like my work or not. Like, this is just what I have to ask for it. And then I can really focus on what the client loves and really resonating with the client with where they're at. And -hmm. then it's not emotional. If there's a rejection, it's like, well, you know, I wish I could sell to you for less, but actually like it's, this is what it's worth. Right. Um, It's kind of like the back end structure versus like the front end experience. right? Right. And I think that we can, we can kind of separate the two in a way that builds confidence behind the scenes that then can be really just comfortable in front of a client and and not have any of those stressors or any of those, um, you know, anxieties about what we're offering.
0: Right. And that, um, that confidence then maps across to our client, because if we know that, that we're worth this, not that our, that our art is worth it, but that, our time and our energy and our passion is worth being paid that confidence maps across to clients and what I find and I'm sure you do too is that then they're they're willing to pay more easily because you know when we know our worth they you know it's a it's an energy thing
1: yeah but absolutely it's it's like the difference between saying well, it's three hundred dollars to saying it's three hundred dollars. And I would love to take a credit card if that works for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like they're just two very different emotional places. Right. <laughs> Yesterday
0: I had somebody ask if I was available to do a 50th anniversary family portrait uh right after Christmas. And to say yes to it would mean that I would alter some of my Christmas plans. So of course I needed to know I was going to get paid <laughs> and I've had, you know, five, $15,000 sales on extended family portraits. Those to me are the most lucrative in the, you know, in the portrait world done right. Mm-hmm. And as I confidently began talking about how I worked and my pricing, she said, well, I know you're worth it. We're just not looking for that. And you know, she was looking for a $300 shoot and burn. Um, and the. I'm bringing this up because it was clear to me that she understood from my confidence in my pricing that I was worth it. And so her no was not anything personal other than this wasn't that important to them to actually invest in a full-time photographer. And I said to her, but not with... Any negative in my tone um, you know what uh, I price myself um, especially when it's prime time between Christmas and New Year's at a point that what I need to make a living and what I find is people who are are photographing for two three four hundred dollars and handing over the files if you check with them in two years either they've changed their policies or they're out of business or this is a as you said more of a hobby mm-hmm. and people are actually getting paid about five dollars an hour and when you or take, less
1: or less yeah,
0: yeah or, or less. everything involved so yeah and I, and she didn't um yeah, there was no like well you're too expensive it's ridiculous or it was just you know not a meeting of the minds and the end and you know so I get to go spend more time with my family um but Mm -hmm. yeah that, that confidence is powerful yeah yeah and I think
1: yeah it also when the photographer doesn't look at the print right as the sale but as the entire service the entire experience the entire body of knowledge and training and expertise and wisdom that goes into that because they've like considered all those things, then I think they have a very different perspective on how they're going to price a print or a service or you know a
0: package um, I do want to say to my darling listeners if you're someone who currently does the uh, shoot and share model, I am in no way thinking that, you know, thinking any less of anyone or putting down that business model, just suggesting that number one, it is very difficult to sustain over a long period of time and be profitable. And number two, to me, you're missing out on the most fun part and the most encouraging part, which is to sit with clients and see them laugh and cry and, you know, their face light up with joy and then pick what they love and give you money for it. So um, to me, that is another of the ways that as creatives we get over that fear of rejection is by sitting with them. And because we're not selling us, even though I've said a lot of times we're selling us <laughs> because we're <laughs> selling it, right? but when it comes to the photographs, we are selling them back to themselves. We they love them because they love their family or they love their child. Or if you're doing architecture and it's for an architect architect loves the, you know, the designs they did. So that's, we're kind of cheaters in a way (laughs) as photographers because we're selling people their own creations and their own, um, you know, what makes their heart light up every day.
1: Yeah. And I I do think it is, it can be a little different in different spaces um, in terms of like, also in terms of like what clients want and value paying for versus what they don't. Like selling in a portrait space can be a little different than selling in an event space, can be a little different than selling in a commercial space. And I think, I think, um, you know, whenever we're operating in any of those spaces, we have to look at what is really best practice in that space. And certainly in the portrait space, like, you know, sitting down with a client, going through the emotional experience of sharing the images is a very valuable experience for the client. And also having that handholding um, in that space of sharing just that beautiful work with them. In the commercial space, sometimes we're not given that privilege at all. And so we have to operate within a model and a best practice that works in that space. so I think that these are all different things to consider um, with regard to how we market ourselves, or sell our work and how it sometimes can be different in different spaces too.
0: So, Anne, when you're not with someone, when you deliver the work you've done photographically, how do you grow your confidence in what you're doing and that people are liking what you do you know the the beyond that they paid you um is there something that's built in with that that gives you that you know that uh satisfaction of a job well done um well i would
1: say that they still provide feedback even if we're not there in person right Like, working in commercial in New York City, like, everybody wants everything yesterday, (laughs) like, before you Uh actually photographed it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Are you done yet?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And working in editorial work, um, where it's like a media-driven event, where they actually want you to just, you know, send files directly to an editor's computer. Um, The feedback that you get is what they choose and what they choose to use, (laughs) <laughs> and um, and sometimes you have to intuit, you know, what what choices they're making. And sometimes you can. They do allow time to have conversations about things. There was actually a really great example where I was working with um, a PR agency for a university in Massachusetts, and. They're like, okay, you know, what we're looking for out of this project is 100 images and, you know, we need it, you know, within an hour of the event, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, are you okay with me shooting JPEG? Are you okay with me sending the files to you wirelessly or, you know, how are we going to work that out? Once we got everything worked out and we got everything, you know, like the the price was right for all the work that was going to go into it and all the expertise that was into it you know, and they knew what I was going to deliver and I knew it was going to be coming back in return. Um, the way they selected the images to put them online kind of grossly disappointed me. And so then I went back, circled back and had a conversation with the editor, not in a negative way, you know, really just like in an open, wanting to understand how things were being chosen way. And what they told me was, oh, well, we just picked the first ones we liked. I was like, oh man, okay, so that lets me know I cannot show you anything that is not amazing. Like, I shouldn't even show you the the option for a moment I should just show you the one moment that if it's going to land on the cover somewhere is going to be beautiful and that was a great learning experience for me because I was like why would they pick you know I think we all have images at some point that we include because we think you know there's going to be some emotional attachment there and then we go oh no they picked that one (laughs) Um,
0: yeah so it sounds like um making sure in circumstance like that, that you get the feedback or you look at what they've used and see what there is yeah. to learn from it. That you pay Yeah, attention exactly. To
1: that. Yeah. And so that was, that was like my learning in that space was um, learning how that editor worked, learning how they were making their selection. But I, I really didn't get a chance in that particular instance to learn until we did the project, and they were happy. Like they wouldn't have chosen if they weren't happy, and mm-hmm. everybody else was happy because they all, you know. But as an artist, you're like, ah, oh, man, how oh. did I do
0: that? <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. So, yeah. are there other issues about selling our art, or about pricing, or anything that um, we haven't talked about? That's kind of core in in your mind.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that you know we tend to run into as an industry is that we tend to let people, other people determine our value. We tend to let the market determine our value. And the market is actually full of a bunch of part-time people. We tend to let um, the client determine the value. And the client actually has not set an appropriate budget. And so we really need to reclaim that space of our own value. And I think as an industry, we've kind of lost ourselves in this. Mm. And we've kind of had a little bit of, I don't want to say misguidance with regard to how to do this, but there's, there's definitely been a lot of people repeating some of the kind of 19th century business advice around, you know, price to your market, take your cost of goods, mark it up three times. Like those are industrial pricing models. Those are not and there are retail pricing models they're not they're models that are built on making something and then manufacturing thousands of it that are distributed to thousands of distributors they are not pricing models that are designed for creatives and so i think that we really need to reclaim that space and that was really why i felt it was super important to write this book um, pricing workbook for creatives Because I really wanted people to reclaim their value and to stop allowing other people to define it for them. Mm. Makes
0: total sense. And I I can't tell you how many times in Facebook groups where someone says, how should I price? And someone says, oh, I mark up three times and five times and this times that that I'm like, no, in capital letters, if I could. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why are we
1: perpetuating this?
0: The only factor of a a multiplication is with something that's an expensive product to make sure we mark up at least to me three times so that we can like a, let's say a, a hand oiled canvas, you know, where we put the Mm glaze, you know, it might cost you four or $500. And if you don't charge three times that and you accidentally ordered the wrong size or the wrong image, or you edited and accidentally there were three hands instead of two on the (laughs) basis. I've done that. I know it happens. happens. (laughs) But, But then when we redo it, we totally eat it and we make zero. So that's the minimum markup. But I always advise we start with the end in mind is how much do I need to make Per year how many clients what do I feel I can sell people consistently in that range like let's say I need to make two thousand dollars a client well what can I what do I want to sell them for that two thousand so we work backwards I'm going to imagine you know taking also cost of goods and our time and all the other things that I'm going to look forward to seeing in your book um, but yeah, that we start backwards. Um, I love watching The Profit. Do you watch the TV show called yeah, The Profit?
1: Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there's there's so much good business information in that. Um, about even, even with a product, there's still so much that goes into running a business that's selling, I don't know, cute socks or something mm-hmm. that is not what it costs to have that sock made. Right. So something that came up as I was listening to you sharing just now is that there's also that challenge of receiving what we deserve and imagining um, even having a greater income for our art. And uh, I was coaching somebody recently, And I was helping her set her one-year, three-year, five-year goals. And she could not even picture herself earning over $75,000 a year. And I can relate to that. She's like, I live simply. I, I don't need a lot of money. But then when I start to think about and helped her think about what you can do when you have more resources. And it's not just about the basics but travel, I know you love to travel. Um, Saving for retirement, which comes sooner than you think. (laughs) (laughs) Philanthropy. I remember being in a workshop and asking the question, why would I want to make a million dollars? I don't need a million dollars to be happy. And he said, think of all the good things you could do on the planet if you had an extra, you know, six hundred thousand dollars you didn't need so um yeah i'm a big believer in in also expanding our consciousness in addition to uh knowing what we need and the basics to sell and price ourselves does that make sense to you totally and i think that
1: um one of the things that i found was that same space where people kind of like got to a number that they felt comfortable in then kind of casting the future they weren't thinking about oh well actually if I had an employee um, I could do this or I could do that or I could serve more people or I could maybe even run an intern program and help more people in the industry. You know, like there are a lot of things that people weren't considering. And I think that's where coaching helps, right? Because we can help them consider all these other possibilities in their future and then see what they resonate with. They're not going to resonate with everything, but maybe there is something in that space that when they think forward five years, 10 years, two years, three years, however much time it is. If they think about, you know, what would, you know, maybe they want to have a team member. Maybe they really like working with other people, but the structure they have in the moment isn't going to provide that. So then they need to create a plan for that. So actually in like the third part of the pricing workbook, one of the things I do is I attach profit to growth because we really can't grow if we don't have the profit to grow. And so I have learned that when I work with creatives, it's easier for them to consider the additional profit they need when they attach it to something that they desire to have in the future. And so I incorporated that into the structure um, near the end of the book that really helps people kind of like go into that space of like, well, maybe you want a beautiful, bright studio that you feel so, you know, like, so inspired in and that you want your clients to feel so amazing in, you know, maybe you want to have a makeup artist on call. Maybe you want to have, you know, you want to landscape an entire um, property. Like there are so many beautiful things that you can do when you have the cushion and the room and the profit
0: to do so. Right. And having those, if we're living in that place of service, which I think that photographers for the most part, that. Is the place that we're sitting in is that of service. It gives us the ability to serve more people in a bigger way to bring out our best when we're not like worrying about money is an energetic drag. Yeah. So when we're, um, when we have a level of abundance where we can just relax and know that this flow is continuing. Think about the emotional, energetic, and creative freedom we have, and even um, so, years ago there was a, a lull where there was no work for me for about three months, and luckily I had a nice cushion. Um, so in 1999, 98, 99, there was a mini recession and. I did not have any new work coming in, and at the time, I was kind of a lazy marketer, and I knew it would come back around, so I had time on my hands, and I had enough resources and savings. I knew I'd be fine, so I looked for a project that would help children, and I ended up doing a calendar two years in a row working with San Diego County Adoption and um, getting kids homes, So having the financial resources to take some time away from my business and do heart work is for me, you know, specifically something that happened because I created a financial flow that, you know, gave me that freedom. So the moral of the story is more money is good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It definitely makes a lot of things so much easier and it does give us more to give back with you know even if it's not even if we don't feel the financial leeway maybe we feel that we actually have time like you said you know you if you have the runway of money you also have the runway of time
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: uh, we can have that time for our family we can have that time to deal with illness we can have that time to deal with grief we can you know life is is not as consistent as we would like (laughs) Ah it's nice to have the cushion to have, you know, time for life to happen as well.
0: Right. Stuff, stuff happens. And so, Hey, Anne. Yeah. This has been so much fun. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Thank love, you
1: so much for the invitation.
0: I love your easy laugh and, um, nice back and forth conversation. And I feel edified. It's a good fancy word from our <laughs> conversation and like I have made a new friend and. So I just want to thank you so, so much for being on this show. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to send you a comment or if people want to hire you to speak or any other goodness uh, that is Ann Ruthman?
1: Ah, thank you. Um, they can just email me. That's probably the simplest way. Info, I-N-F-O, at annruthman.com, a n
0: n e. R U T H M A N N. And I want to apologize for not pronouncing your name, right? (laughs) It's okay. I don't, I
1: don't even know how to pronounce it sometimes. It's all right. You know, depending on how many drinks I've had, it it, you know,
0: maybe a totally different name. (laughs) And then um, where can someone get this fabulous book?
1: Um, The pricing workbook for creatives is available on Amazon. I would highly recommend the paperback over the Kindle. Um, because the research shows us that um, doing the work by hand on paper actually creates better results. and So there's a great paper- paperback version available on Amazon.
0: And I'm going to include a link in the show notes that connects to my account. So if you have a chance to buy it through that, and just told me that there's a nice little way to accumulate, I don't know, a little bit of bonus for doing a little
1: a little referral gift yeah
0: yeah so if you didn't know about that if you're a person that uh recommends books to people all the time uh you too might be able to set up an account what did you say it was called
1: um an affiliate account affiliate on affiliate
0: yeah Yeah. so little shameless plug Um, (laughs) (laughs) so before i do the wrap up that you want to stay tuned for, um, I want to remind you to please subscribe and share this with your friends. And also, if you'd like to know more about my coaching or anything, you can go to lucydumascoaching.com and just get in touch that way. And I'd love for you to join my private group, it's called The Profitable Photographer. And also on Facebook and also the profitable photographer slash Lucy Dumas is the page. And a lot of goodness ends up there before it can be sent over to the private group. So um, love for you to do that. And so again, and thank you, thank you, thank you for being on my show and being such a fun and smart and interesting human. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, thanks and hope we can actually meet in the flesh sometimes, Anne. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye now. And stay tuned, listeners, for the wrap-up. Well, that was fun. And um, gosh, there were so many good things. I'm trying to come up with how I could wrap that up. One of the things I really love that Anne shared is as artists, yes, we have this feeling that we're making art and so how dare we get paid for it? I'm not sure if she said it quite like that, but that it's kind of hard to charge for something that we love to do that comes from our soul. But when we go to the practical side and take a look number by number, bill by bill, life by life, at how much It costs us to run a business and how much we actually need to um, not have to have another career, but to, to spend our time, energy, heart, creativity, making art, making anything creative, the the importance of understanding what we need so that then we confidently will charge that we'll price ourselves so that we can keep doing it. Because if we undercharge, it means we have to spend our time doing things that may not be as fun. So I really love how embracing the left side, practical part of a business as an artist, actually what I hear is it will free us to do more art. I would never have created, I don't know, thousands and thousands, and millions and millions of images over the last 38 years. I'm coming up on my anniversary um, if I hadn't been paid well for it you know I'd be doing things for fun but um I've been able because I've charged for it I haven't had to have what I call a real job so that to me is the core of this fun conversation and Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the flip side until next time. Bye. You have been listening to the highly profitable photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share to connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs. Just go to lucydumascoaching.com until next time go have fun photographing and selling your work.